something outside. What is that? This is Gunnar Monson, one of your hosts of Monster X Radio. I'm also the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company, www.squatchcoffee.com. Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? You might also want to check out our new uh, website, monsterxradio.com. We just opened up a new uh, membership opportunity. You can come over and and check it out. It's uh, www.monsterxradio.com. And you can go to the top of the page, and it talks about exclusive. And uh, I said we've got bonus shows every week uh, with them, exclusive content. And we have a private chat group, Facebook chat group, where we call them the X's. And uh, so come on over and check it out. It's uh, we're having fun over there. Today is my good friend Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? Hey, Gunner, doing well. Thanks, man. Uh, how are things on your end? You know, it's been a beautiful day here on the Oregon coast. So we're sliding in the summer, and uh, the weather looks uh, good for getting out and, and spending some time out in the woods. I'm looking forward to that this summer. Yeah, you know, it's the weather has been it's been a little funky up here in Washington. Uh, I live on the Kitsap Peninsula, and it's been a little funky. We, today was beautiful, uh, a little bit overcast at times, but the sun's been peeking through and dry. Yesterday we had a weird spell where it was partly cloudy, and we had some really dark clouds move in over from the Olympics, and it downpoured for about 20 minutes and then you know, sprinkled for another uh, few hours. But um, this is the time of year where, pardon me, you get that sort of weird weather, and then it's a – you know, huge transition from, you know, winter, spring into summer, and we're going to get some drier days here. But one of the things I've noticed is, you know, you, you're, you'll notice this year around the country, but the amount of brush that has grown um, around, you know, your, you know, anywhere, but particularly up here in the Pacific Northwest, up here in Washington, the uh, growth is just ex- exploded. Um, with with just an abundance of of plant life, it's crazy how thick things grow. I went to uh, San Diego for two weeks and arrived back up here in Washington. And, and within that two weeks, the plant life had exploded. That around my house, I have walls of forest and thick brush. I had a ton of yard work to do, but it's amazing how quickly uh, things change in the span of just a few weeks. It's it's crazy. No, I, 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 last weekend I spent part of the time uh, cutting blackberry bushes. It's just amazing as how the foliage this time of year, just like you said, explodes. 
And we always talk about that contrast out in the Tillamook Forest is that, you know, you get to the winter and, and the visibility, how it affects, you know, how, how far you are able to see. And uh, there's a lot more cover this time of year with all the the foliage uh, growing out. I remember when we were at uh, the nest site not that long ago, a couple months ago, and uh, how how open it was. And I've been up there. I was up there last summer, and and uh, it was definitely a, a huge contrast. You know, you just it, it's interesting how that animals would utilize that. I'm sure they're aware that, that you know that gives them better cover. What are your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. It it you know, and that's they're going to move around into the areas where they're going to be covered, and wh- you know where that plant life uh, you know is abundant, uh, given the seasons, you know, and that's why you have a lot of animals move from uh, coastal areas, specifically speaking about the Pacific Northwest, from the coastal areas, and then they move upland over a period of time, just based on the the amount of rotation that's out there and the abundance of food and plant life. And right now what you're seeing is uh, animals are coming out and you're getting um, things moving higher up into the mountains, higher up into the hills rather than the lowland areas. And it brings up a point of trail cameras. You know, it's funny. I learned this the hard way, Gunner, when I uh, originally started placing trail cameras uh, years and years ago uh, that I didn't take into effect uh, the plant life. I'd put a trail camera in an area that was completely clear and come back three, six months later, uh, and <laughs> I, not only could I not find the, the freaking camera, even though I knew where it was at, but also it was useless because it was completely covered by plant life, and most of the photos that I had on a lot of these trail cameras that I'd originally placed um, there was just nothing but uh, plant life uh, waving back and forth in the wind in front of these cameras. And so uh, it's something that I've taken into consideration when I'm placing a trail camera is uh, what season am I placing that trail camera, what height am I placing that trail camera, where am I placing that trail camera, and you know how, are the, 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 how is the plant life going to grow because, and how long am I going to leave it out there. And so – you know, I, I know a lot of people, you know, for certain individuals listening to this episode, you know, this particular episode, they'll probably laugh going, I've been there, done that, or you numb nuts, you know, uh, you should know better. <laughs> but at, when I when I first started placing trail cameras, I just didn't really think about that. I'd put in a clearing or mm-hmm. wherever have you, not thinking about the plant life. But oh, I'll tell you what, I learned the hard way. And so it's really made me think about uh, placing, how I place trail cameras, you know, uh, given the, the season and whatnot. And also... Um, you know, you don't want to put a troll camera out there where there's a lot of wind and uh, plant life because you'll, you know, anything if you have it on a high sensitivity, which I usually do, or a mid sensitivity, you'll the littlest uh, breeze and a little bit of a leaf in front of it or uh, a branch, you know, several feet away or whatever, it will trick that camera off and. Before you know it, you're 10, you can have your yeah, camera ten thousand pictures <laughs> that day, that day, and your yeah. card's full. You know, and uh, yeah. it, it's it's very frustrating. But uh, something to think about uh, for those uh, researchers out there that are getting starting out with trail cameras, and just for other individuals, is be careful where you place your trail camera, especially uh, you know right before you know right during spring and whatnot. It's usually you know it's a great time to place a trail camera if you want to get a lot of animals, but be be wary and, and you know think about where you're placing them. 
definitely is something to give thought to in planning your, you know, your placement, and and then maybe making a point of of planning your your relocation of those cameras based on the seasons, uh, what you're going to be able to to uh, you know get during the fall and winter is going to be considerably different than this time of year. So I yeah, know you're yeah. you're headed out here to the the woods. Um, is it tomorrow? I believe, right? Yeah, I I've been busy uh, packing and setting up camp and whatnot today. I am heading out uh, towards the uh, nest area. I'm bringing a guest along, um, two guests along, uh, in Laura Krantz and a friend of hers, uh, Kelsey, uh, out to um, to uh, check out the nest area. Um, she's been in contact with. Dr. Meldrum and Todd Distill, who are heavily involved with the Nest Project, and Derek Randalls, and I'm going to take uh, these two uh, women along with me. Um, of course, Laura is a relative of the late, great Grover Krantz, a well-known uh, Bigfoot researcher that passed away uh, many years ago, but um, uh, it, I'm excited about it. Uh, I, this time of year, I'll be honest with you, uh, this is going to be more of a viewing thing for, for these ladies. Uh, that um, going to be able to investigate and see what we've been working on, and uh, but to be honest with you, this time of year, uh, even in the nest area and whatnot, uh, I don't. There, there really recently hasn't been any um, activity going on that, that uh, whether we found anything or had any reports going on in the general vicinity. Uh, I've noticed a trend here with the, the Bigfoot reports. Uh, even with the BFRO, they've tailed off quite a bit, um, but that's to be that's to be expected, I think. Uh, but uh, I think they'll pick up here shortly, uh, going into the summer months as more people get out into the woods and whatnot. Um, so we're going to spend um, you know our time in the Olympics, uh, and uh, I'm not necessarily expecting any sort of activity because it has uh, died down via reports, via our own work. We haven't seen anything. Uh, really jump out at us uh, in regards to evidence and, and whatnot. So, but this is going to be mainly a, um, a research sort of endeavor where we're, we're uh, uh, viewing the nest, maybe taking some samples and, and hiking around and just seeing if anything is going on out there. Uh, and we'll see what happens, but I'm excited about it, uh, this particular trip. It's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, the weather, once again, is kind of iffy. It looks like we may get some rain this evening. Tomorrow looks drier, but, of course, in the Pacific Northwest, you just never know. Uh, you know, you can get uh, intermittent showers and whatnot, but we're always prepared for that, and that's just the way things go. Yeah, you. I mean, you're, you go camping in the Pacific Northwest, you're going to get rained on. I remember when Susan and I took a long we, – we hiked uh, for a couple – or for a, a good week a couple years ago, and beautiful weather right up till the one night we camped down by the river, and it just – woke up in the middle of the night and we of course we'd set our boots outside and woke up in here to you know rain <laughs> and I'm like oh crap you're you're you know you're scrambling to to get your gear in but uh yeah that was quite the last year when we came out it was 100 like 100 degrees the day we got back and it was when all the the fires were going on and so it was really smoky it's really weird is where we had been we hiked up the the Salmonberry River here and uh didn't see the smoke. It was really weird because we came out 
by the where the confluence of the Salmonberry and the the Halem River come together, and uh, it was all of a sudden it's all smoky, and it just was so strange. And I'm hoping we don't have the same kind of fire season here in Oregon that we did, and in the Pacific Northwest that we did last year. Um, you know, I was, we actually have uh, we have the Sasquatch Coffee is in the Multnomah Falls gift shop, and uh, oh, yeah. we were talking to the folks up there, and they are really hurt. And they, of course, they had that huge fire up up there. Some kid threw a firecracker and being a a dummy and uh, caused this huge forest fire. And uh, yeah, they're it it's affect you know it's gonna affect and of course. We're not affected by it anymore. We, you know, we didn't have the fire down here, so you kind of don't think about, oh yeah, all the after effects, and that's going to take years. You know, all these trails that people used to to enjoy and stuff are just decimated, and it's uh, they they can't use their parking lot because the uh, the road got broken up, and and just it's a mess. So yeah, we're hoping that this year, you know, that people use their heads a little bit more and. And uh, we just don't have the bad fire season. We've had a pretty dry winter here in Oregon, and yeah. in mild, and the and that that's never never a good thing because you know you're you don't have the water saturation that that uh, keeps us from catching fire. But and we we talked last year about how we had we did a show on how you know those forest fires probably affect. Um, animal movement in general and, and Bigfoot and how that, that, uh, um, the sighting pattern changes when yeah. uh, you have a fire in one area. And you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. You brought, uh, I mean, that's a, this year, I'll tell you, um, I know my brother's a wildland file firefighter out in Idaho and he's already been dispatched to New Mexico. I think he's getting dispatched to Colorado soon. The fires have already started. It just, you know, you're not hearing about all these fires because you're, you know, it depends on what state you live in. But these fires are are popping up, and uh, it's. I have a feeling, and from what I've heard from my brother, they're expecting a really uh, bad uh, fire season, and that's unfortunate because we've been decimated with fires over the last couple of years. And I know, growing up in, in uh, Southern California, my parents losing their house during the Cedar Fire. I know all about. Uh, the destruction of these fires and what it does to not just humans, but the animal life. And so this year, uh, you know, I hope and pray to God that it's not a bad fire season, but it's looking that way. But having said that, you know, these fires, if, Squatch Metrics, if you guys follow Squatch Metrics on Facebook, I, I, I mention him a lot. Squatch Metrics happens to, he happened to have, make up a, uh, he looked at the fires uh, a couple years back and, in the general areas they were happening, specifically in, I believe, uh, I know Washington, Oregon, I believe, uh, as well as Northern California. And he was looking at the reports that, uh, Bigfoot reports that happened during and after these fires. And, of course, it makes sense that uh, areas that had a lot of Bigfoot activity that the fires happened to uh, decimate, well, the Bigfoot moved, and the reports in the outskirts of these areas, they picked up in other areas, and that stands the reason. stands the reason for a lot of reasons. You know, if you look at, you know, cougar and bear sightings after fires, well, they increase in areas where the fire has not uh, 
taken its toll. Uh, everything moves out of these areas, whether it's deer and whatever animal life you have. And so you start to see an increase of animal life in other areas where they're not normally seen. You know, uh, when I was down in Southern California, my parents live in East County, San Diego. Um, the Cedar Fire uh, down there in 2003, I mean, it tore up the, a lot of the Cleveland National Forest, the Cuyamaca area, which is some of the only forests out in that area, where a lot of cougar live and, what, and deer. And what people started to see was, of course, um, cougar and deer in areas where they weren't seen before. And if they were seen, they were in higher concentration, higher numbers. And so, you know, Bigfoot's just, just like that. It's the same thing. If these fires affect certain areas, be prepared and, and, and watch for an influx of Bigfoot sightings in areas where, one, they've probably never been seen before, or two, if they have, look for an increased number of sightings in some of these areas. I think it's obviously a given. It's not rocket science here, but it's something to think about, you know, especially if you're, you're, you're out somewhere and you're wondering, you know, well, could a, a sighting happen here? Well, you know, if, if you've had a fire nearby, um, you know, it's going to throw them for a loop. It's happened up here in Washington. I know it's happened in Oregon. It's happened in Northern California. I know it's happened in Idaho. It's happened in Montana. It's, um, it's happened in Canada. So there's an influx, not just with known animals, but I guarantee there will be an influx of sightings of Sasquatch in these areas if this indeed is a bad fire season, which I'm hoping it's not. Uh, been a lot of dry areas like you were talking about, Gunner, Washington, uh, this is one of the driest May months uh, ever. I think it's like the second driest month or the first driest uh, or, or uh, May in, in, on record. Uh, and so, um, we'll, you know, we're only going to get drier as the seasons go. And I know with California, you know, I was just down there, down there two weeks down in Southern California, down in the San Diego East County area. And I was sitting outside my, my parents' house, and they own, you know, 10 acres out there, and it's beautiful country where they live. Yeah, they've had deer and cougar sightings and, and bobcat and what have you. Well, last year they had a good amount of rain. The problem is when you, you get a lot of rain, you get a lot of plant growth. And then that next year, if you have a dry year, all that plant growth dies back and gets dry. Well, then you have kindle, and it doesn't take much to start a fire in some of these areas. And I'm worried uh, – well, I'm worried about the West Coast, but a lot of uh, – parts of the u.s when it comes to these fires because they're, they're going to be massive if, if they do happen and man I, I hope and pray like i said it doesn't happen um i'm not looking forward to this particular fire season uh, but um you know if these fires do occur i will be looking for um, certain areas and an influx in big reports possibly happening and if that does happen, I know, you know, like I said, Squatch Metrics is going to be keeping an eye on that, and we'll report back to you where these influx of sightings are, and uh, and we'll go from there, uh, and we'll see what happens. Hey, uh, you bring up Squatch Metrics, and we have some kind of cool stuff that that uh, work we're working on with. Uh, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm teaming up with the man behind the curtain, uh, Squatch Metrics. He, you know, he's a very private guy, but he's very uh, smart. He's a, just a smart individual to talk to. I've had, the, I've been fortunate to uh, meet the individual, hang out with him, talk with him at length. I know him personally. He's a good friend of mine now. Uh, just a really smart guy, uh, very analytical. His profession, uh, because of his profession and uh, his sighting. 
many years ago, he's gone into looking at the numbers, looking at the analytics, uh, looking at the, you know, making graphs and looking at what's behind is beyond just, uh, just, you know, what's out there. We're, what really what Squatch Metrics is about is providing data, uh, data that's been vetted, data, you know, it's compiling it and letting it scream what it does, giving you numbers, whether it's uh, where, what elevation, uh, what time of year, where. I mean, it's, it's, act, it's just amazing stuff, and I'm very proud to know him uh, personally. And what I'm excited to talk about, though, is, um, you know, we'll be doing the biometric show, uh, which will include a lot of Squatch Metrics uh, data um, from sightings and, and whatnot. But uh, he's finally agreed after many years of me nagging at him, um, and it was a bit of his idea this turnaround. He came at me and said, hey, um, what do you think about doing a show on, uh, on different parts of the country and giving people data on Sasquatch sightings, on, on the data behind the sighting, and whatnot, and um, and I thought, man, I, okay, finally, <laughs> this is awesome. And so we're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing this here shortly. We're going to start recording shows. I want him to do most of the talking. He's such a smart guy. You're going to love his accent. You're going to love his approach. You're going to love his mind. He's just such a really, he's, he's such a smart guy. And I really appreciate what he's been doing. It's the next uh, next generation Sasquatch research, as far as I see it. Yes. Some individuals have been doing this, but not to the detail uh, that my buddy has with Squatch Metrics. He's taken it to a whole new level, and um, he's compiled amazing numbers, amazing insight, and uh, it, it's going to be a fun show full of stuff. And he's going to join us. I mean, it's not going to be me or Gunnar just on there. The, uh, this individual, like I said, the man behind the curtain, or the Wizard of Oz, is going to be joining us and talking about this stuff. And I'll tell you what. You get him started, I'm going to have to stop him because he just goes on and on and on because he's so fluent. He's immersed in with, with, it. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just, immersed in he, it. He lives and breathes right. it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's, it's been cool to have that connection. If you guys haven't checked out Squatcher, Mex, Squatcher Metrics, he, there was a Facebook page, and I'd go give it a like and check it out because, I mean, it's he compiles this data and it's very just analytical and puts puts it out there without um, drawing any conclusions or you know it's it's just this is the data this is what it shows you know this there's this many and, and if we talk about you know the needle in the the moving haystack or the needle moving needle in the haystack the best that we can hope to do is is reduce that haystack and this. When you look at the data and take those data points, and it creates a, another a level of predictability. You know, there's no uh, there's no Bigfoot bus stop where it's gonna the train's gonna arrive on one at at a certain time. But if you know, it's, you know, that there's an influx of sightings in a particular place at a particular season, and that uh, and it a large majority of those sightings happen at night and and a large percentage of them are, you know, during a, doing a particular activity. It's all these data overlays. You, you kind of get a picture of, you know, Oh, well, if I'm going to have my best chance of, of running in or finding, finding 
evidence of, of a Bigfoot in an area would be during this time of year. You know, it, it's fascinating. And I, I, I'm a data nerd. And mm-hmm. that what he's done with that just is, is amazing. I mean, it's, but he, he does it in such a way that, that is, is scientific. He leaves us, you know, he lets the data speak for itself. You know, Absolutely. Not, yeah, and that's yeah. that. It's it's cool. So I, I'm excited to have him um, come in and share his stuff with you know publicly, really for the first time in terms of you know being on on podcast. He's not somebody who's been a public figure. He's not looking for fame and fortune. He's just uh, someone who's had an encounter and. Again, it's just like it's always interesting to see what the effect of somebody having uh, a Bigfoot encounter, how that, what that triggers on them, and, and for him, yeah, he's 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 take he he has thirst for answers and and uh, taking data and and laying overlaying it. It's it's cool. I mean, it's, it's it always reminds there's these people that pop up in in this field of Bigfoot research and Mark Marcel comes to mind as somebody who, you know, gets a passion and an obsession about a particular thing and applies their, the skills that they have, the skills that they've developed in their, you know, their career or just throughout life and, and applies it to Bigfoot research and what that uh, does for, for the field. Um, You know, Mark went and, and became dedicated to finding the the location for the Fred Beck incident where from 1924 and all the, these miners and they supposedly shot a Bigfoot and there was a cabin and and through Mike Mark's diligence uh, he found what must be you know the site we Shane and I actually went there a while back with Mark and um and it was it. It takes somebody with that kind of dedication to do, and that that's what Squatrometrics is doing with the data. They're, he's taking it and taking it to the nth degree. You know, it's just oh, yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, time and, and effort to put that stuff together, and it's just um, it's uh, it's exciting. It's, you, you can tell that I I am enthusiastic about it because I start talking <laughs> about yeah. like I'm on speed, yeah, well, but. Uh, you know, this individual is is uh, one of the hardest working guys I know. One of the busiest guys I know. He's a hardworking family man uh, that uh, is fascinated with with uh, not you know he loves sightings and encounters and all that stuff. But uh, like me, like him, he knows that uh, it's time to beyond just uh, reports and encounters. It's time to look at. Uh, numbers and 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 the details behind these sightings and details behind these encounters and these vocals and whatnot, uh, you know. And he's really uh, been, you know, he's been around for a long time. Um, for those of you that are involved in this field, whether it's online or whatnot, uh, he's been behind the scenes uh, for a long time. He's now kind of stepping out of the shadow here, which I'm really happy about because. He's only going to provide awesome stuff that's needed, and we're going to hear it from the horse's mouth, which I'm excited about because I a lot of times utilize his information, and I talk about it on air and this and that, 
And uh, I've always wanted him to share it personally because, you know, I, I do share a lot of information with him, and, and he uses that into some of his data. But he does that with a lot of researchers, a lot of individuals. And he has a certain criteria, too, that I'll let him discuss, but certain criteria when it comes to what goes into his database. It's not just everything. No, no, no. There's, <laughs> this guy has thought the, about all the ins and outs, and he's very particular about certain things. And that's why I really appreciate about the guy. He's very uh, scientific in his, his, you know, in, in what he does, and giving his uh, career, it, it's kind of uh, walks right in place with that. So it's going to be exciting to have him join us on Moxa Radio. I'm really proud, really excited. He's just a fantastic guy, and he's helped uh, not just myself, but he's helped a lot of researchers a lot of individuals out there, a lot of uh, non-researchers out there uh, with information that they've been seeking to better their research, to better their chances of having uh, find something or an encounter or whatnot. And he's just the next step up, uh, something that I've always wanted to see happen. It's coming into fruition, and it's just an exciting time. So I'm looking forward, look forward to, like me, to uh, listening to uh, the Wizard of Oz, as I call him, uh, down the road here, and um, I'll see where he, you know, he's a he's a private guy, but I'm really stoked to have him come out uh, and and talk about his work. And there'll be a uh, down the road here in the next few weeks. There'll be a uh, an initial episode where we kind of discuss this stuff. You know, we we won't go into numbers right off the bat per se, but we'll discuss. Uh, you know, we'll have him on, and I hope you guys are excited about having him on as I am, and, and uh, it's going to be a, a fun journey. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and that's, I, again, it's how generous that he, he is with his time. You know, there's there there's a lot of negativity in, in the field of Bigfooting and, and craziness and, and people backbiting and, and you know, accusations and and, and shenanigans and, and BS and we really do try to to be Bigfoot without the BS, but you know, it's people like like him and David Ellis and and yourself and Cliff Berrickman and and Derek. I mean, people that are really generous with their time and and their resources and their knowledge and sharing that with with other people and trying to make the research of the field uh, better, you know, and and do what we can to move towards the day of discovery, as we like to call it. I mean, it's, there, it, it's an eventuality. I mean, it, oh, they'll either go extinct before we, we, you know, have confirmation or, and we'll be looking back at, at the existing data, including, you know, the eDNA stuff that's going on with the Nest site. And they, well, we, you know, yep, they were here. And, or we're going to, you know, prove them through, uh, due diligence and hard work and, and spending and boots on the ground. You know, it just, it's, uh, it is an exciting time still for, because I think um, the idea with, with what Squatchermetrics does, you know, maybe combining that with the, the possibility of collecting uh, samples for, to have them processed by eDNA. Of course, that's a fairly new technology, so it's still really expensive to have that done. But as yeah. uh, as it as that time goes along, just like every technology, something else will become behind it and will drive the price of of eDNA 
processing down to some degree. At least we're hoping. Yeah. Uh, interesting stuff about the eDNA right now is uh, it really is. I And don't quote me on this, folks, but um, around 2008, I think, is when it kind of really picked off, pick up traction within the scientific community. I'm probably wrong with the date, but uh, I, I believe it was roughly about that time. And they started getting results, I believe, around 2011. Well, now we're here in 2018. You have uh, this eDNA being utilized to in regards to Bigfoot research, which is exciting, you know, with the ON project doing what they're doing with the NES. I, I hope there's this upward trend and it continues with the eDNA being utilized in that fashion because what's exciting about it, Bigfoot aside, is I have a feeling they're going to find a lot of other unknowns possibly out there, you know, uh, mammals or reptiles or whatever that they're it, – it's exciting because – the possibilities are endless. In fact, um, it's, I believe it's this year or next year in Loch Ness in Scotland, they're going to be doing uh, water tests. With, you're going to use, utilize environmental DNA on the waters of Scotland in Loch Ness to uh, see what's in the water there. I mean, it's a lock, you know, obviously a Nessie thing uh, as far as a cryptid, but they're going to be testing the water samples what samples they take and they're you know who knows what they'll discover maybe they'll discover a new species of fish or you know who knows what but it's being utilized now so it's not just dirt samples and, and rock sediment samples it's also water samples and as the science grows we're gonna there's gonna be some amazing discoveries down the road uh, and I'm excited about eDNA in general just to where it's going and how it's being utilized and uh, it's been, you know, it's been a growing thing. Obviously, it's fairly new, and so there's, I, I know there's kinks to be worked out, and there's better methods to be utilized, collection and, and testing. But it's growing, it's evolving, and it's exciting. And like I said, look forward to some news, maybe out of Loch Ness down the road of, of um, undiscovered cryptids there. Who knows? Or undiscovered species. But that's going to, you know what? It's going to happen around the world. Imagine going down to uh, the Congo and, and, uh, or the deep parts of the ocean. Uh, who knows what the limits are, but there will be some amazing discoveries. And you know what? I know that the Limit Project is jumping aboard with this, uh, utilizing, you know, it's not a cheap, it's a, it's a very expensive process now. But like all things, as things uh, progress, they get cheaper. Uh, and I'm hoping down the road that other individuals with possible areas where Sasquatch may reside and may be able to give samples and be able to afford it. We'll see what happens. Uh, but it's a very exciting process watching science get involved with eDNA and now actually looking at uh, some of the work that we're doing as researchers, as laymen. So uh, it's an exciting process, and we'll see where it goes. That we will, yeah. And I mean, so that's the nest um nest site is is being uh tested core samples were taken you know a while back and and it's again it's a slow process it, it isn't um something that that happens overnight and again the the olympic project is not running to facebook to to trumpet you know results and and it's it's just it it's cool and you know dr todd Dissatel has is working with on that project and we had him 
on Monster X a while back, and and he, you know, he, it's interesting because you you see him and he he's very skeptical of evidence and and even the possibility that that Bigfoot exists, but he's willing to to work on the project and and uh, it it'll be exciting to see what the results are when they they come. And I know that you're really involved in that closely. You you know you've probably been to the the nest site more than anybody at this point. And, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, and, uh, at, and the, I know that you've spent numerous hours of, of your spare time taking through, methodically going through, uh, nest material looking for not just, not just suspect hairs, but all kinds of hairs to, and, uh, so that you have the, the comparison that, yeah, you're, there's been hairs found in there that that uh, of, of many of known animals you would expect, and then we also know that there's been hairs that were taken from the nest that you personally found that um, have been analyzed by Cindy Dosen and and came back, and they fit a certain profile of it's She doesn't do DNA analysis; she, she does hair analysis, and she has a database and she has looked at umpteen bazillion hairs and and she has some hairs that that are type hairs from um, situations where they were collected in association with a, a Bigfoot report and mm-hmm. and the, and there's hairs in the from the nest that that look resemble most closely resemble those hairs is that am I stating that right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, lacking a medulla is a, a seems to be a common theme with uh, supposed or possible Sasquatch hair, you know. And I've said on the show before, uh, the medulla would be if you're looking at a pencil. If you're thinking about looking at a pencil, it would be the the lead in the middle of the pencil. That that would be the medulla, and that's what seems to be lacking. And bears have a medulla, and, and a lot of animals have a medulla. Uh, Sasquatch uh, seem to lack that, in, in at least as far as the hair that's being looked at. But, uh, I mean, very much so. But I wanted to touch upon something real quick when it comes to science. Yeah. You know, with, with Dr. Meldrum, you know, he, we brought him out to the nest site, and he got the witness firsthand. It's hard to deny stuff when you see it firsthand uh, or deny its perplexity and whatnot. As Meldrum got to see it, and he was he was taken back quite some by the nests and how they were constructed and the location and what they were made out of and how they were made. Uh, the part of the problem with science nowadays, with, when it comes to Sasquatch research, is the unwillingness to actually investigate. If you if you're uh, a scientist and you're just looking at the news media, uh, YouTube, and whatnot, it's a joke. But to actually get involved in and what's out there, and there's a lot out there, whether it's tracks, hair, um, vehicle matter, nest sites, what and whatnot. If you're not willing Full to get print. involved, which is the issue now with a lot of scientists, but you know we are, you know, there are a lot of scientists actually involved. But the vast majority, if you're not involved in it, you're not going to experience. You're not actually going to see it firsthand, and and of course, uh, you won't be surprised. I mean, you won't be shocked. You won't uh, get to actually. You won't get that hands-on experience. I'm hoping more scientists, uh, more academic uh, individuals get involved in this. Uh, I'm seeing, Gunnar, you know firsthand, um, we're, we, we are seeing certain individuals 
taken an interest from an academic uh, arena uh, that are, are seeing, that are getting interested, that are reaching out to certain individuals and starting to get involved more and more. Something that uh, the late great uh, John, you know, wildlife biologist John Bennernagel wanted, you know, make this less taboo. It's starting to happen. Right. I hope it progresses. I hope that it's you know an, another upward trend, and we'll see what happens. But you know what? If if science as a whole won't get involved, well, I'm not surprised that they'll scoff at it. You know, I mean, hey, of course you're going to scoff at something. If you're not looking at it at what's out there and what's available, which I think there's a plenitude of stuff, a, physical, a ton of physical evidence. Skip all the anecdotal encounters and stories, but there is a ton of physical evidence out there. The Olymp Project is providing stuff. NOAC out of Texas is providing stuff. Um, they're providing stuff. I mean, a lot of different states, a lot of different individuals, a lot of different groups are providing compelling stuff. Science needs to jump aboard at some point and go, okay, let's take a serious, really serious look at this as a whole, and maybe, maybe we'll get somewhere. Uh, that's cool. I mean, I thought that uh... – when I first met our friend Larry Turner, one of the, his uh, overarching goals was to uh, bring scientific accreditation to the Bigfoot research. And through through his efforts and uh, some other individuals' efforts, there is a group that's that's working on scientific protocols for Bigfoot research and some standardization. And you know, and uh, and that group is called Share. And um, don't ask me to tell you what the acronym is again. It is an acronym saying Sasquatch Hunters something, something, something. And then, uh, but uh, yeah. they're, they're working on some protocols. And uh, it, I, I, think it's, I think it's a great idea. I mean, if we could, you know, is everybody going to use them? No, if you don't want to follow scientific protocol, you're not going to. I mean, it, but, but for those people that, have that interest, it'd be great to have a, you know, a set of guidelines and and uh, protocols, protocols for what, how to process evidence, the way to go about certain kind of um, experiments to conduct. I mean, it, it that that's a cool idea to me, um, and I, I appreciate the that group's efforts. I have alluded to our our Facebook chat group uh, a few weeks ago of, you know, that you and I are part of and that there's some folks in there that, that uh, work with primates professionally and um, not naming names. And it's a very, you know, it's, but uh, they're doing it. um, uh, But it's exciting to me that, that there are people that, that of that profession that, are not scoffing at the idea of Bigfoot and have an interest and and are giving their input as to, you know, how to go about and, and comparisons of behavior between what people experience in Bigfoot um, anecdotal stories for a uh, lack of, I mean, because you can't, it's hard to share hair and, and the physical evidence, but people describe certain behaviors and, and it's interesting how those, some of those, very much follow what uh, known animals or primates do. So, it, and it's fun to have you know those kind of friends that you you can sit around and talk about Bigfoot and how it relates to 
yeah. you know, primates that we already know exist. It's, it's just a cool thing that I never really thought would uh, I'd get to participate in, but um, it, it, it's uh, it's happening. So, this, you know, most the, the cool Bigfoot research is not taking place. Well, none of it is really taking place on Facebook. It doesn't take place in social media. The, you know, the Olympic project has never been uh, very public running to, you know, they're not, it's not tabloid Bigfoot research. Um, if, and it's, and it, it's not always exciting, you know, the, the, but, but it's a slow and methodical process. And I had, I've always had such an appreciation for the way that it was the, the nesting site became a research opportunity over a long period of time instead of it just being, oh, look, we found Bigfoot nests. It was never done that way. Now, yeah. you know, go. I mean, over two years later, we have some opinions about, you know, based on the experience and, and, and the, all the things that have been eliminated that it that it's not these, you know, it's not deer, it's not elk, it's not, you know, uh, wood rats, it's not, but it's it's not bear. It's not so, bear. what is it? It comes down now. It's 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 either a behavior. Uh, that's never been documented before of a known animal or, or it's, it's Bigfoot or it's, or it's behavior from an unknown animal. I guess I, I, but then, you know, you have to take all the evidence in context and the anecdotal stories in the area that of, of Bigfoot sightings, footprint finds, the hair in the nest is another corroborating piece of evidence, a big one, you know, and, and this DNA is, that we're waiting, you know, anxiously to to hear the results of. Maybe another piece that comes if it comes back with, you know, uh, an unknown primate. That's that's going to be huge. I mean, it is in terms of this project and and uh, what what that result would would mean um, in terms of. Uh, future projects and, and other stuff going on around the country. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the when it comes to research in general, um, as you get, if you're really serious about the research and actually trying to better your research and better your techniques, you're going to learn certain protocols and you're going to adhere to those protocols, there's a level of maturity and discipline that comes with uh, years of research. Uh, I've, I've learned this the hard way, you know, and the, as you progress in your research, um, taking what you think you know and what others have been researching, there's discipline and maturity. And with that maturity, I think you really start to get lay down some groundwork. And that groundwork is protocol, procedure, um, the scientific method, and really going about things. Uh, it's less about yourself and more about the research. And, and you know, it's one of those things where the more you think you know, chances are the less you know. And if you could adhere to certain methods and try to uh, adhere to the scientific method and bringing that into your science, into what your, your research the better you are. The more mature a researcher you're going to be, the better I think your results will be, whether they're Sasquatch or not. Uh, if you're not willing to 
to uh, think outside the box and and take in everything that's uh, been done before you and uh, you know and and whatnot uh you're, you're doing yourself a disservice you're doing the subject a disservice but back to you know uh science getting involved in in some of these individuals that we've been talking with it's really exciting for me because i think there is a lot of direct comparisons to primate behavior and what people are seeing in regards to sasquatch behavior whether it's behavior or features or how they look um, there's a lot of direct behavior there that uh, comparisons that is fascinating to me and it's a pleasure to speak with individuals that are experts in what they do that work with primates and and whatnot great apes and whatnot that it's a, a sheer pleasure and I'm honored to work with individuals like that because I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm a Bigfoot researcher, and I, you know, I can read and and watch, and 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 study as much um, about primate behavior as I want, but and go to the zoo, which I do a lot. But I'm not interacting like some individuals are, and it's 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 really crazy when you hear or see certain behaviors done by great apes or other uh, primates uh, that is very reminiscent of what we and many others have experienced with Sasquatch. To me, that is, it's very compelling, it's very interesting, and there's a lot to be learned from both sides, especially if they have an interest. There's a huge um, collaboration there that uh, can work out for all, as I see it, and um, it's, it's exciting to do that stuff. I hope more individuals will we'll, uh, on both sides of the field, both sides of the game, academic and, and layman, uh, researcher, and what have you, will will seek out those individuals. That's the only way um, without, you know, somebody hitting one with a car or or accidentally shooting one, you know, uh, which you know, I, I don't want. But uh, given, you know, what we're doing now, it's the only way to get anywhere. And, co- you know, collaboration is a must, you know, I'm not a big conspiracy guy, so I don't think, uh, you know, that there's some big conspiracy, you know, uh, going on out there. But I think uh, these individuals that are, uh, and there's probably more individuals. There's probably more individuals that are, you know, curious and whatnot out there that are they're involved in these sciences. Uh, I hope they step outside of their little comfort zone a little bit and reach out, um, as as we're we're seeing it happen and and unfold before our eyes, which is it's it's exciting. So I hope that's another upward trend. I think I've used upward trend three times tonight. I hope that's another upward <laughs> trend and continues because I'm I'll tell you what, I'm I'm very non non pessimistic. I'm an optimistic guy and I, I'm seeing exciting things happen that I've never seen happen before in the numbers or in the the, the multitude as they're happening now. And uh, I was on a podcast the other night and uh, somebody asked me, you know, did I, did I think Sasquatch, how close were we, where we were, how close are we to proving Sasquatch exists? And I said, you know what, I think, you know, quite honestly, I think, you know, I, I don't know about proving Sasquatch exists, but I think we're close to getting some answers down the road here. I think we're closer than ever. And it's not just because of, um, you know, a lot of these new guys, you know, new guys work like the Lint Project and some of these other groups and individuals. It's been a collaborative effort 
uh, you know, uh, call it the Bigfoot community, call it the research community. I don't care. It's been a collaborative effort. I think we're getting close to getting some answers. Uh, regardless of what comes of the nest site, uh, I'm still very optimistic of what's going on down the road here and seeing individuals um, from the science realm and, and their expertise getting more and more involved. How can you not be excited? How can you not be optimistic about it? Because I know they exist. I know Sasquatch. It doesn't, you know, that's not a, um, a mind-blowing thing to me. It's more of, you know, what are they doing? Where are they going? And how do they exist? Uh, are they are they thriving? Are they surviving? Are they dying? Who knows? But I think we're going to get some answers here in the next couple of years. I'm really hoping so. I think that's where uh, I'm seeing the upward trend. And, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But it's exciting to be involved in this subject now. I'm excited to be involved in tomorrow, as I was yesterday. And I'm going to continue to plug on with, like many other individuals, but my goal is to get science in, more involved because the more I can get science involved, I'm hoping the price for things and their involvement will come down in price and whatnot because it's expensive to do a lot of this work. You know, we spend a lot of money of our own pocket to do the research, and then, you, you know, you have these sometimes what you think are amazing findings or something that may amount to something, and you're left with this price tag, and you're like, ooh, ouch, uh, okay, well, there's a dead end. <laughs> but it takes, it takes, like you said, patience and, and perseverance and, and maturity, and, uh, you know, it's, it, one of the cool things is that uh, this group that we're involved in with the folks that we've alluded to, and, uh, and how fun that is. It actually is one of the most positive uh, experiences that I've had involving Bigfoot and social media. I mean, usually the, the, the crap that takes place with, you know, that that it's very uh, quick for people to get into big blow-ups on, on Facebook in particular, you know, and, and a lot of negativity and people, you know, you put up, you put up something, piece of, evidence that somebody presents and and you get of course all across the drum of of people seeing it's just the case when when i posted the pictures that from uh kyle and mantra from the show we did a few weeks ago and and we got everything i mean we had people that were you know sure that they were seeing two big foots and one of them holding the baby uh to the other and those you know it's a tree so i mean every it, it let, and it wasn't, you know, again, we talked about it on that show as it wasn't a glamour shot, but uh, it's just, the fa- it's fascinating the the range. You always get the full spectrum. Almost any time that you put something goes up, you got people that right away that start applauding, you know, a shadowy thing that, you know, is in, indeterminate. You can't tell what it is by looking at it. You, the, the pictures that, that they put, shared were, as we talked about, it weren't they weren't a glamour shot. They were interesting and uh, require you know further investigation and vetting before you know. And, and of course, none of us were there when they had their experience. So, and again, the context is it's in an area that has a lot of bigfoot history and activity. That that does not mean that what any any picture that you take is necessarily a bigfoot. So, but. They're, you know, they're determined to go back into this area and and uh, and do their best to vet that 
that experience. And I know that that uh, Todd Neese and Diane Stocking Neese uh, will be accompanying him. They went up, you know, a couple weeks after that and uh, checked the area out, but weather conditions were not conducive to getting to the actual right. spot. So it's pretty exciting. I know that we're getting yeah. pretty close to, to being out of time here, but and yeah. I know that. I, so I'm excited for you this weekend to get to hang out with Laura and Kelsey. Uh, we we had the opportunity to go to actually to your sighting location with them a while mm-hmm. back, and with Cindy and her daughter, and and we had a good time. It also had one of the creepiest moments that I've ever spent in the woods when Kelsey talked about you know opening somebody up and sleeping inside of them because it had been so cold. <laughs> so that was that was that was uh yeah the creep factor moment but i've had yeah. uh, cre- creepier moments out there so i was not floored i was yeah. going okay if a sasquatch comes in here and is not happy um please take that tent so i know that i'll be yeah. i'll be okay <laughs> uh, but uh gunner real quick i like to before we end the show i want to talk about something really quick here and that is something we kind of touched upon earlier you know we're talking about forest fires and and things, you know, uh, animal influx in certain areas. Well, um, sometimes, you know, those influxes or uh, would not happen without reason. Uh, and sometimes, you know, animal attacks, they don't make sense, you know, especially cougars. There was, you know, I've talked to some show, I, I think a week or two ago, where there was a young gentleman killed by a cougar in the Squalmy area up here in Washington. I happen to know the, or know a friend that knows the tracker that tracked down that particular cougar. And it wasn't a pretty sight. Uh, having said that, folks, be careful out there. Uh, I know we got listeners from around the world, but a lot of people, you know, you got different types of animals and predators in certain areas. Be careful. You know, with cougars specifically, I'll talk about this real quick. You know, it is a rare event. But back in 93, when I was camping in the uh, 93, 94, I was camping in the Cuyamaca State park down in southern california there was a um, i believe she was a 58 year old woman that was uh, i think she was a jogger if i remember right that got attacked and killed by a cougar um, nothing she could have probably done to prevent that what surprised uh, the investigators at the time the animal animal wildlife biologists and whatnot was that uh, you know usually these attacks happen from rabid or, or injured or you know cats you know cougars but that's not always the case. You know, there are they are rare. They are rare. I, I guarantee these attacks are rare. But be prepared. You know, one of the things I do when I'm out in the woods, and I've encountered animals before, but one of the things I do is I always carry a walking stick because that stick could help you defend your life as a first resort. It'll keep the animal between you and the stick. A lot of times you can smack the ground, you can wave it over your head, it'll make yourself look larger. And you know, uh, never always stare. You know, if you get attacked by a cougar specifically, stare in the eyes. Don't don't lose eye contact with a cat. You know, <clears throat> make make a lot of noise, scream. You know, throw rocks if you can. Never run from a cat. A cougar is no different than your your house cat when it comes to something running. You know, you, you put a laser out there. You know, for your your house cat, you, you get a little toy mouse. You throw it. Cat's going to chase it. Well, cat, cougars are the same way. Never run from a cat, and make yourself look big. Um, I feel really bad for this individual that was killed. Um, uh, unfortunately, there were some mistakes made there. Uh, I don't know if he could have prevented it. I don't know, but I think that uh, possibly he could have warded it off again. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I wasn't there, so I, I won't say that was, it's a very sad scenario, but be careful when you're out in the woods this time of year, because, uh, what I'm noticing from friends is they're starting to get a lot of bear, uh, on, on their trail cameras. So the bear are coming out, the bear are eating grass right now. There's not a whole lot of berries out there for the bears to eat. Uh, in fact, there's nil up here. There's nothing, but they're eating grass or they're, you know, uh, out there, um, trying to get something to eat. So the bears are out now, and the cougars are out and whatnot. So just be careful because the brush is high. It's thick up here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure other parts of the country are the same way. So be careful when you're out hiking. Uh, always, you know, I, I always, uh, you know, I'm, I, I carry a weapon when I'm with me. Uh, not that it'll save my life, but if I need it, it's there. I always also mention to a lot of individuals carry an air horn. A lot of times the air horn will scare off a, a, a cat or a bear. And, of course, bear spray, you know, works, you know, can work. You know, a lot of times you don't have time to react. So the more resources you have on you, you know, I, I've talked to individuals who go, oh, I don't, I don't carry any of that stuff. I've never been, you know, attacked. I, the bears run the scent. Well, that's fine. You know, I get it. Only uh, takes me. once. It just takes one time. And, you know, right. a lot of these, you know, we talk about missing people. I, I, you know, the Lynn Project as individuals, Derek Randalls, James Millen, myself, we go out and look for individuals that are missing, not because we think Bigfoot took them. You know, we don't rule out anything, but not that we think Bigfoot took them. It's these individuals went missing. And, um, you know, they, they say these, these cat attacks are rare, and they are rare. You know, usually these cat attacks are by young males that are being kicked out of an area. They're hungry. They're, they're curious. They don't know any better, and these young, young smaller males uh, will attack. Well, there's a lot of missing people out there in the woods, and, you, you know, I'm not going to put – uh, I'm not going to scream it's Bigfoot or it's this or that, but I will tell you that some of these uh, missing people probably have come from cougar attacks. Uh, you know, a 100-pound cougar can drag <laughs> a very large man a long ways, and that individual may never be found. And so some of those missing people out there may have come from cougars or bears or whatever have you, injury. But be cautionary. Think think about where you're going. Let someone know where you're going. Um, we We've been looking for – a few individuals in Olympics um, over this last year and a half uh, that, you know, who knows what happened to me. They fall in a river and whatnot. Uh, but, uh, you know, be, be, I don't want to look for any more individuals. Be cautious no matter where you're at in this country, the United States, where you're at in the world. Be cautious. Be prepared for the elements, uh, for the animals, and for the trek. And I uh, just I wanted to throw that in there because um, I think a lot of this stuff can be prevented if people are knowledgeable and prepared. Very good. I mean, it is, it is important to, as we get, you know, going into the summer when a lot of more people are going out in the woods and, and uh, that's good advice. Just use your head, plan, you know, what is a proper planning uh, prevents, no, or perfect performance <laughs> doesn't prevent. <laughs> so anyway, but, but planning ahead, you know, for your trip out to the woods, um, people should know where you're going to um, and uh, how long, when you're supposed to be back, all that kind of stuff. And the things that Shane, I would echo the things that, that Shane has mentioned. So, but we're about out of time. I would, again, invite everybody that's listening to check out our website at www.monstrexradio.com and check out exclusive. Uh, you can get two weeks of exclusive Come on in and check out everything we're doing in there for free. You you sign up. Um, you got two weeks to kick it around and see if it's something that that's a 
interesting to you, and uh, we hope to see you on the inside. And for uh, Shane Corson, this is Gunnar Monson. Uh, thanks again for everybody listening to Monster X Radio. We appreciate all of you. Have a great week until next weekend.